0: Hello folks, you're very welcome to episode 11 of Resonating with Emmett O'Malley. That's me. New podcast music this week. I thought, just on reflection of the episodes that we have done so far, there's a kind of a more relaxed vibe to this music than the previous music. This is a little bit more Of the tone of the podcast, I think I think up till now it's been a little bit Hey! Hey! Welcome to the podcast! Woohoo! Very, um, kind of glitzy Space age kind of music Like Las Vegas in the 80s But on a space station, something like that Anyway, gonna veer away from that look for a while Thanks for listening to the show, it's great to have you here To support this podcast, as always, I will direct you towards patreon.com slash Emmett O'Malley. And on there, I upload exclusive music and videos every month. And I do a weekly podcast called Private Pod. Private Pod. That is on there. That's just me chatting shit every week. But if you want to hear a bit of that, well, patreon.com slash emmettomalley O'Malley. Also, why not head over to YouTube? Subscribe, youtube.com slash Emmet O'Malley Music. Instagram, Emmet O'Malley Music. Facebook, Emmet O'Malley Music. Shall I go on naming social media platforms? Maybe not. Let's leave it there. Apart from the digital world, I was out in the real physical world this weekend for the first time in a really long time doing a gig in front of human beings in a pub and it was really nice really nice thank you Whelans of Croydon and the lovely people that were there on Saturday night we had a really good time there was a lot of I guess, joy in the room, you know? Everybody was pretending, I guess, in a a way that the pandemic was completely over. And like, I I guess generally, probably a lot of the people there were vaccinated and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, there's a kind of a more of a sense of security, which feels a bit dangerous. Hopefully I will be alive next week. But things opened up and music is back. It was nice to play music in front of people and not see them kind of slowly disappearing off the screen like happens on Zoom gigs or Mary P has left. It's way more socially awkward to have to leave in person when I start playing in a pub. And if Mary P gets up and leaves, then it just looks bad. It looks bad for everyone. It looks bad for Mary. Doesn't have any patience. Looks bad for me. Sound terrible. So whatever it is, this reality of playing music in front of others, it's it's more socially considerate, let's just say. Nikki Larkin Writer director is on the podcast today. We had a lovely chat. Nikki's work is fantastic. You can go to nikkilarkinfilm.com. There is links below on the bio. You can go there to his website. There is a trailer there also for Abomination, an incredible documentary that he made and also a link to his Instagram. But a great writer-director lives in Belfast from Burr in County Offaly. But he's been making some really powerful stuff over the last few years. So go check out his stuff. So here it is, my chat with the lovely Nikki Larkin. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Nikki. You're very welcome. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for having me. Good, good. Yeah, delighted to be finally on a podcast. I've been listening to so many podcasts. It's good to actually be on one. Yeah.
0: Well, it's uh, an honor, an honor to be to, to be uh, popping your podcast cherry. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've been watching watching your work the last the last week or so, and I absolutely love what you've made i love the the films that you've been making uh maybe i'll ask you first about abomination uh just an incredible documentary and uh also captured like a social movement he captured what was going on at the time uh yeah tell me a bit about that one it's uh, actually just and maybe just describe what it's about too so people will have an insight
1: Um, Well, there's this radical theatre company in Belfast that I'm kind of loosely associated with called the Belfast Ensemble, um, created by this genius composer by the name of composer, theatre maker, director, writer, just a a man of many talents called Conor Mitchell. And uh, they did what they described as the world's first ever documentary opera. Late uh, in late 2019, where they took all of the homophobic statements said by the DUP over the last 30, 40 years and put them to music and used the DUP's words as basically the lyrics of the the opera. Um, and so that in itself is is a mad a mad idea and very worthy of documentation. But then by pure fluke, this all landed at the the same time as the marriage equality legislation was being passed in Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland was the only part of the UK and Ireland and I think the whole of Europe where marriage equality still wasn't a thing. Uh, and so the the, the whole the, the period was only four weeks anyway from the time the first the first day of rehearsals to the opening night in the Lyric Theatre in Belfast. Uh, with the marriage equality thing happening exactly halfway through that. So I just thought that that's, that's just, it's just telling an amazing story on multiple levels, and it's too good to not make a film about. So I applied to NI Screen, and it was even outside of official funding deadlines, but it was just such a mad story that it gave me a small bit of money, and that allowed me to to start shooting with it like a tiny little crew, and it was really a labour of love. Uh, it was, you know, uh, a few days shooting in the rehearsal rooms, then shooting the, the when they moved to the Lyric, and then up at Stormont to capture the protests and celebration around the, the passing of the legislation. And then a big, massive edit, uh, because, you know, the first cut was, was, was probably about an hour and a half long. That's ridiculous. Uh, so it was like a huge big edit. And then we got finally got the film ready in a shape that was ready to be seen uh and we had a a, a launch date a premiere arranged for qft in belfast which is like the, the sort of the art house cinema in belfast uh for april 2020 and then boom uh, COVID struck and that was the end of that mm. uh, so it's finally having a bit of a life now uh it's been hitting a few different festivals and uh you know, uh, I'm just really glad that it's, it's something that, it's such a historic moment in Northern Irish history, I'm glad that I have it in the can, you know, so that in 20 years I can look back at that and, and you know really capture the moment, uh, a really seismic moment. Uh, and it was more than the sum of its parts, you know. It's just one of those lucky times when, when, when uh, an idea and, and, and the right time and all these different ingredients come together and, and, and you, you make something quite special.
0: Yeah, well, yes, it's definitely, uh, I don't know, a special piece of work. And like, hopefully that people listening to this can eventually, when they have an opportunity to see it at a festival or something, they can get out and see it. Um, There's something, um, because uh, you've been making some comedy as well. And uh, there's something that like struck me and always kind of jumps out with, Uh, like, really good documentaries and, let's say, really good comedy that sometimes you'd have an odd scene where it'd be like, you couldn't write this. Like, for example, like, it's reality, but the... Let's say the event is so bizarre that, like, even talking about the thing in 20 years, like, for example, somebody watching that and, like, even now it's completely bizarre, but just... It will go into the realms of the ridiculous, you know. Like by then, yeah. I think. But this scene where I think there was the protesters standing outside Stormont, was it? Um, yeah, yeah. Like, like I was saying before, that's something that could be in like you know like a top quality like mockumentary, you know, like like the characters. Or oh, Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I my, my one uh, when we went up that day that the marriage equality was being passed, and at the time there had been no sitting government in Stormont, <clears throat> excuse me, for almost three years, and the DUP felt so completely horrified by the idea of two fellas or two girls getting married uh, that they they went back to government for the first time in three years to try and block this yeah. and. Uh, and so a lot of their kind of headbanger, the more extreme headbanger Christian right were up at the, you know, with their placards and all this sort of thing. And my only concern for the whole day was to get somebody to say the word abomination. I was just determined. And I had all these tricks up my sleeve <laughs> of how I would elicit this abomination. And I needn't worry. Within about seven seconds, they were foaming at the mouth going on about abominations and sodomy and... and and all of this, and, and and using really sexual language as well, which was very bizarre. And like yeah. you said, you could not write that. And people have asked me, were they plants? You know, were they actors? Yeah. Did you say, no? I swear to you, they're real people.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, like yeah, real life is uh, more more bizarre, I think, than 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 comedy. You know, an awful yeah. lot of the time. I saw something actually a few weeks ago because I found this YouTube channel of. Uh, this guy, I'll have to find it and send it. Of this guy who is archived, you probably, you might know it. He's archived like loads and loads of Irish stuff, Irish footage, and um, it seems to be a pretty big YouTube account. Actually, it's all like high quality stuff going back. It's like kind of reeling in the years, but in depth. You know what I mean? It's, it's everything's there, and there was a clip from 1986, and it was from Galway. And it was like the university in Galway who were screening like a, a a kind of a film with like adult content in it, right? And all the the local kind of uh, let's say full on like like Headbangers. yeah yeah came down and they're all outside the the gates of the university. And in this case, the film did not get screened. You know, like it, like oh my the, God. the but the the. The rate of change in in uh, Ireland with this stuff is uh, is unbelievable because like that's 1986, like that's within my lifetime. I would have been like you know four or something, and I grew up in Galway. And some of it is y- you see you see a little bit of that around still, but some of it is unrecognizable. Like you know, yeah. And there's yeah. a there's a certain trauma to it. Like you know, I think I think there there's been a a kind of national trauma, you know, or something, you know, w- with, with the church or something. I, I, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I, I don't think any other society has changed so radically in such a short space of time as, uh, when I say Ireland, I mean the South, because not, not the North. Uh, but, you know, if you consider that in 1993, homosexual acts were, were illegal, and then in 2015, we became the first country in the world to vote for marriage equality, you know, to to actually have have a referendum and introduce it that way. And in that short space of time, the society has changed so drastically, and really the main thing that happened was we got rid of the church. Uh, and and we kind of because I don't think Irish people are naturally conservative look at the way we drink you know look at the way we party and look at the Celtic tiger look everyone going off buying holiday homes in Bulgaria without even seeing them and, and you know just all this madness that is not really could the actions of conservative people, you know, mm. but I think we, we were, it was foisted upon us for such a long time with this guilt and shame and cancel culture. Like the, the I was reading um, an article yesterday with, uh, with Sinead O'Connor. I'm always banging on about Sinead O'Connor these days. I love but Sinead I think O'Connor. That, yeah. But she was, the article was saying that uh, she was the first victim of cancel culture in 1993 or 92 or whatever, when she ripped up that picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live, mm. and the whole of America went mad, and it sort of ended her career, or at least that part of her career, and th- this sort of um, this we're sort of getting onto a different topic now, but 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 this. Uh, this is very familiar, like this the thing you were saying about the, the the film in Galway in the 80s and people protesting it and even say the likes of uh, Monty Python and The Life of Brian, which was banned in Ireland, you know, and now we're starting to see all this again. But, you, you know, this same sort of sensorial... Uh, 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 moral panic and outrage, but reframed in a in a totally different way but it's, yeah. it's it's shockingly familiar and I think the problem is that the the uh the the people who are at the forefront of it are just slightly too young to remember it from the first time around
0: right yeah you um, know i hear you I hear you completely there, and there is something about a kind of uh let's say um i 'll jump up to the can- cancel culture in a second just through this, but there is something about the, um, the kind of tragedy of how, let's say, let's say the impact of that kind of, let's say, like really like hard-nosed kind of religious kind of idea, the impact on, of that on people being able to explore really kind of um, basic and simple things like spirituality, let's say, in a, in a kind of, without being, like, associated with, like, some kind of regime or some kind of institution or, like, I find that quite tragic because of, like, how much that can help people. Like, even just uh, ideas of, like, you know, in the last, let's say, you know, whatever, 15 years or so, like... You know, there's been a big boost with that, like lots of people talking about meditation. Now people talking about mindfulness, you know, but using these kind of terms where like like this kind of culture needed something like um, even like, uh, you know, the power of now, that kind of stuff where it's like it's reframing, like um, letting go of this kind of complicated fear based mind that is yeah. is is the manifestation of the culture, you know what i mean i think like l- like uh it, people are almost ashamed of um like talking about that with friends because like you're not like you're not like gone mad on religion, are you you know yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. because the impact of that has been so deep you know and yeah. and 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 like you said i think I think you're exactly right the the it's the um cancel culture stuff like it's like polarization like that's a religious um kind of idea isn't it like it's yeah. like i'm right you're wrong you you need to and do the this judgment judgment exactly yeah yeah, yeah. It-
1: and the willingness to uh to point the finger at people and uh and be outraged and it's it's all very familiar, you know, it's all very familiar from 80s or early 90s, sort of Catholic Ireland, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what what I what I feel as well is a it's one of the reasons I really love your work as well. Uh, what I feel gets lost when people are when it's all about, let's say, intellectualization and it's all about like as in, let's say, um okay so throw away everything that could be like let's say a deeper level of awareness or consciousness because religion has traumatized me you know because of the players in that world um but then when it comes to something like uh creativity and art and all that the like for me uh the creative um spark is something that's that comes kind of from a deeper place than my kind of let's say my planning and micromanaging kind of brain you know like I I can't say I'm going to sit down and write my best song today you know like little bits of ideas come as 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 the day goes on or like as the weeks go on or stuff just kind of lands in you know it's it's like a kind of letting often the times a lot like a lot of letting go rather than a, le- a lot of um willing it into existence i guess um yeah but it's kind of like i i think basically uh, this is a really long point man i'm really sorry but i i've noticed with i don't know maybe it's something like the, around I'll, I'll pick acting is a really good example of it okay there is a little bit of uh tendency for people to regard actors as robots or something these days rather than as human beings with emotions and deeper experiences they can bring to it it's i think because of a lack of um i think because of a focus on almost technicality it's all about like uh you know i I guess the kind of like it, let's say directing is often all just about the shots, and just about yeah. the rather than like let's see what the what the where the humanity that comes out, you know, like l- let's create a safe space for that to happen. But I I see that in your work that it's like it's human, you know. I see I see that coming through, and it's probably because I don't know
1: what I'm doing. I'm just just trying to in it out, you know. <laughs>
0: well, man, I I I think it, whatever you're doing is amazing because like. Uh, also, like you're like you started as a like visual artist, though didn't you?
1: Yeah, and and I think the the fact that I don't really have any formal training in how to make films is maybe what you're kind of talking about a bit. In that I'm not, I I don't come to it with, with, with sort of all of this baggage of film school, you know. Mm. And uh, uh, I studied, I, I I always thought I would be a painter, you know. for the first few years of third level, that's what I was, and. Uh, and there was, in, in Clonmira, because you're from Galway too, you probably know a lot of people I'm talking about. In, in Clonmira, uh, there's there's two courses. There's the fine art and the film and TV, or at least there was back, back then. And it, the fine art was portfolio-based, and then the film and TV was just points-based. Mm-hmm. And then it was a really interesting dynamic to watch the difference because there was more creativity under the little baby fingernail of any of the fine arts students than there was of these film and and TV geeks who were all these like weird, weird creatures who used to speak with these kind of half-American accents because they'd watch so much Friends and they they really had no uh, creativity in them at all. And... uh, I remember, I remember when I was learning to edit, uh, and this guy I knew on the film and TV course, he wanted to show me, they, they had to do this little exercise where they had to shoot like a two-minute scene of somebody coming up to a doorway in the snow and ringing the doorway and handing a package, and it was all about creating the mood and the tone. And he did this really delicate, nicely shot little thing, and then the end credits was like death metal. Come on, 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 and and, and and he was, after, um, he was after failing and the lecturer was after slating him and he could not understand what was wrong with this, you know. Absolutely. And that to me was just so typical of the difference between those two courses was because the art people were genuine, creative people and the film and TV were uh, academics who wanted to be, or academically minded who wanted to be involved in film and TV. And so I think uh, I'm not, you, you know, I, I think... A lot of the most interesting directors, even historically, came out of fine art. They didn't come out of uh, film school, you know, Mm. particularly in in, in Europe. Um, But, you know, uh, I I think that there is downsides to that as well, in that I I genuinely don't know what I'm doing half the time, you know. (coughs) So I'm just kind of feeling it as as I go, just sort of making it up uh, as I go along.
0: Well, man, I, I relate with you on the, like, making it up as I go along uh, not knowing what I'm doing kind of idea. Um, but, like, ironically, you obviously do know what you're doing. You're making loads of great films. You know, that's, that's what it is. That's what you're doing, you know. And uh, I, um, like, I've, uh, you know, made, made a bunch of shorts as well over the years and things like that. I haven't done it for a little while now. But it's like um, I've I came in from... I did a. I actually did a, a kind of part time course for a few months up in a uh, where It was like around, uh, like it was every weekend for a couple of months at the end of twenty fifteen, and then I then I went and kind of made a short after that. But from there on, it was all just me trying to make stuff, and uh, it was like the learning experience right there. It was like just th- being thrown in. I, I remember. Uh, I the second short I made was a, a film called Secret Hiding Place and it was like set in the 80s on a farm and basically there was like uh, basically a gay guy growing up on the f- on a farm in the 80s you know and he's planning an escape and there's a family yeah, yeah, yeah. St- a family station's mask basically coming up at the weekend and everyone's coming and um his uncle's coming over from London and he's going to ask his uncle can he kind of skip on the train with him and basically head back after but basically the uh <laughs> I remember the first day of that shoot, and uh the first scene was like the scene where there was like the station's mass you know, and there's all, all these extras arriving I and mean, all these eighties clothes and stuff and i was I filmed it at my parents' house, and like I was like next door, and I was just getting some bits and pieces and uh you know and I basically I was actually playing like the lead character as well I wasn't initially going to do it but like the actor pulled out you know a week before and I was actually playing the lead as well and I was like this is nuts and I remember just going up going up (laughs) to this house next door and I was looking out the window and I saw these people arriving and I'm like what the fuck am i doing
1: I <laughs> just run away run away
0: no it, it, it <laughs> unbe- it's like i like i literally have to go down there and pretend i know what i'm doing you know what i mean is in like okay but that, first shot let's do the first shot and let's go from there yeah <laughs> yeah
1: I, I i completely identify with that and i i what i have learned is that directing is just one big confidence trick it's just you have to pretend that you know what's going on and you're completely in control and then everybody else will be relaxed if you're flapping about the place like a gormless mm. Egypt, the whole <laughs> thing is even if that's the way you feel inside you have to present this sort of demeanor of i know exactly what i'm doing here because that's all the that matter because everybody else knows what they're doing mm. all these guys do this every day of the week you know everyone in the sound department and camera and gaffer and all these people make up this is their their you know they, they do this all the time whereas when you're directing something you're, you're not going to actually be on set very yeah. often you know so yeah. you have to pretend what you know what you're doing and then they all know what they're doing anyway and then it all works out
0: it's a funny balance as well because like the awareness of like i'm just gotta make this happen i just gotta um what i always focused on was like well like i i'm like, I'm big into, like, you know, actors, acting and performance. So I was like, if I can just try to make a space where that happens, that that's something I can focus on, you know? And, um, uh, but there was, like, uh, I, I was working with a comedian uh, once, like, you know, not so long after that time. And, uh, you know, like, directing a piece that we were we were doing, and he was acting in it. And... Uh, I was like, still this, this thing where I'm like, like, you know, by the seat of my pants and everything. And he literally said to me before the shoot, uh, do we really need a director? Uh, like, well, like, and I, and I, and this is a classic comedian shit, you know, because I, I, yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. a comedian myself and it's like, this, <laughs> it's like complete another like like, uh, like, can't I uh, direct yeah, everything, yeah. like everything else in my life? And it's like, I'm like, you do need... And he goes, like, well, but you're just trying to boss people around, basically. That's, that was basically... The, so it, speaking of, like, polarization, if this was a social media thing, one gang would be, like, like, oh, the fucking directors, they're just, like bossy pricks just acting out in the world you know what i mean and the other side is like i I don't know like um you know oh oh, like what what would the world be without that genius you know know what i mean yeah 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 and
1: and the reality is somewhere in the middle as always
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah Mm -hmm. um
1: I found that as well, though, with with actors in my limited experience, it's all about like just letting them go at it, you know, letting them letting them do their thing, you know, and uh, and knowing when to sort of stand back and just just let them, you know, let them let them do it. Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I I would never I would never try and you know because I don't feel like I know anything about acting, you know, but I know what I want you know I, I think I have a good instinct for comedy you know and and I kind of know how to make it funnier but in terms of developing these characters I'm really interested in how actors do that and and you know the rehearsal process and, and their own sort of process is fascinating and it's fascinating to watch even when you're supposed to be directing it but sometimes you just need to just know when to step step back a little bit and, yeah and yeah let them go for it
0: yeah the uh The chemistry that can happen between people can be almost like all you need sometimes, as well. You know, yeah, thinking about like we've spoken a few times about like Father Ted. I know you're just this, like, you know, you were absolutely like a massive fan of that, Yeah, yeah. And likewise, you know, and there's something about the magic there of like even the combination of those people that were on that set, like, do you know what I mean? Like, if you changed one of them out, you know, maybe some of the minor ones that would have worked fine, but generally speaking, it's like a balancing act, isn't it? Just
1: yeah, 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 it's uh, yeah. I actually was talking to somebody who's uh, working on Father Ted, uh, an, an actor uh, and he's—I I was very curious to, to know. Did you know how big this was going to be? Did you have any idea? And I won't say who it was, but this particular actor—he says, to be honest, I didn't really get it. I was just—he sort of, was only in for a day, you know—and he was looking around, going, "This is a bit fucking mad," you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and lo and behold, twenty-five years later, it's still on the TV every week, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's—it's it's something else, man. It's—it's it's a classic, like, and. Uh, so th- that seed was sown when uh, y- you were younger, and like, uh, did you always want to kind of move into some comedy stuff? Because uh, just to give people a bit of an insight, um, yeah, Nikki uh, recently made a like a great uh, comedy short um, uh, gone viral that's that, that, that you won even a few awards with that didn't you recently yeah, right? yeah it's
1: been very well received yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah, it's it's really really great stuff um but like Thank was you. was the was the comedy seed always there
1: yeah uh, it definitely was but i didn't know how to do it i didn't think it would be something that uh, i just didn't see how where the avenue would be to get into it because I I remember the first, as we talked about before, the first time I saw Father Ted, I'll never forget it, you know. I'll never forget being in pain, in physical pain from laughing, you know. (laughs) Like, like actually, my stomach was trying to catch my breath, and I was probably like 12, something like that. And it was like nothing else I'd ever seen. Uh, And I I recognize now that it was the anarchy of it that, you know, I was really attracted to and uh, the madness of it and the surrealism of it. And uh, and it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, you know, that I, I would love to do something like that, but it's not that I, I didn't know how you would do that. You know, I've I, I always felt I was on this path of drawing and painting. That was my thing, you know? Mm. And also back in those days, in the pre-digital era, I didn't know how how would you even make a film or make it, you know, unless you had all this gear unless you had a family member who was involved in the film industry or you had some kind of connection you know, where it's today, it's so democratic. Anybody with an iPhone can make a comedy short and, and can put it up online and it can be viewed by a million people if it's good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's a downside to that because obviously everyone can do it. So there's a whole lot of shit as well. <laughs> but I think it, it's 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 sort of democratized the process. And I, I, I wonder uh, if I was 12 today, uh, you know, would that be something I would sort of catch on to, or or maybe not? You know, but but I think it's been a long road to get to to doing comedy. Uh, but uh, I can look back now and see it was always it was always in the pipeline. You know, I just had to figure out how to 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 do it, how to make yeah. it happen.
0: Yeah, 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 man. Um, I I you 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 made me think of um, when I was uh, like about you know seventeen, eighteen. a friend of mine my basically my best mate from back home like he's one of the funniest guys uh, brian Mannion, that you could ever meet and when i first started doing comedy we did it together as a double act you know what i mean and um but the first thing we did was like with his uh parents video camera that was like i think like high eight um video camera and like um with the they had like a big videotape with a little thing for putting the small videotape in for yeah, wa- yeah, watching yeah. it back. And we, we basically just did like stop rec- record, stop next bit, record, stop, you know, the video with yeah, 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 did, did, yeah. did this thing, man. And like, it was literally like, like the excitement around doing this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like this ridiculous yeah. shit, you know? Um, and uh, a few years ago at Christmas, I went over to his house and he was like, Oh, I, I I think I found the tape, you know, and he pulled it out, and <laughs> it was like taped over with like like local hurling or something like this. Oh no. but, um, nightmare! But the thing is, like the ju- I'm just t- trying to think of, like you know, the the people now probably making stuff with phones. Like, what's going to come of this, you know, down the line with comedy? You you ne- like there could be a comedy like explosion, you know. And yeah. I, I think there needs to be as well. I think there needs to be a, like l- this is only my own opinion, but like like uh, there's been some amazing stuff made the last like 10 years. But there's also an awful lot of like, like, let's say dramedy, if you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see a little bit of like silly, you know, but like quality silly. And I don't mean like there's a, there's a brand of silly that's like, oh, Here's it. I'll put on it. Let's put on cheap wigs, you know. Uh, that we yeah, just yeah. Not not
1: Mrs. Brown's boys. Nobody yeah, needs any more of that. N-
0: no, or yeah. There's there's a bunch of the kind of like because it's comedy. Let's not take it seriously. Like let's yeah, yeah. let's fudge all the production elements. Let's say. Do you know what I mean? But I think there's something about you know taking all the elements just like 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 being very serious about comedy and then just like letting the silliness happen you know in that yeah, space yeah yeah
1: yeah it's an interesting time for comedy as well because it feels like a dangerous time you know that like uh, if you if you try and even watch Father Ted on the 4OD uh channel 4 uh, player now on certain episodes there's like a content warning at the start mm. uh, and you know and I feel i mean the, yeah, the one I was talking about before was, was the, the, the 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 Chinese one about you know the great bunch of lads, and, yeah, and yeah, Which fundamentally is is an, an, an is an episode about the Irish people's fear of being seen as being racist, you know, yeah. yeah. But the woke militia came for it with the pitchforks, saying this is racist, you know, and, and that for me is just like the that that just encapsulates the the lack of nuance around this. Yeah. There's no critical thinking going on here. It's just black and white, uh, good and bad. Uh, and and that's a dangerous, a dangerous position. And I think it's going to get a lot worse before it kind of rectifies itself.
0: Yeah. And it's also really dangerous that, let's say, the so-called uh, authority of, of, on this like woke stuff is literally um, like people who are just... Uh, generating fear you know like as in like you know with with cancel culture and all that like people's entire careers potentially being derailed or like yeah. being, coming off social media or um, like losing contracts opportunities yeah, to, yeah. to make new stuff all that thing is happening with people but it's like it's like who who is perpetuating this like like kind of randomers, you know? Like it's not coming yeah, yeah. it's not coming from any like well thought out place. It's just reaction and I think a lot of it is is kind of uh just cynicism and negativity too. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I just would like to say though at this point that I don't want to come across as somebody who's anti any of the the sort of the the, the ideas behind this. I mean, you know, uh, I, I am a big fan of political correctness because the, the alternative is, like, racism and homophobia and transphobia and all this sort of horrible stuff. Mm. But that there's, there's there, you know, there's a line somewhere... Uh, what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to say that I'm not a fan of cancer culture, but I do appreciate the ideas behind it, you know? And, and it's a very difficult conversation to... You know, uh, you look at somebody, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's. I'm very conflicted, speaking of Father Ted even, the likes of Graham Linehan, that is so disappointing to me that he's gone on this crusade of transphobia, you know, a guy that his whole career was about sort of putting two fingers up to the Catholic Church and to the authorities and all this sort of stuff, or, you know, not the authorities, but the, 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 the you know what I'm saying, the, the, mm. The, the the time and then he comes out and and he's all this like he it's like he has some sort of mental uh, I don't know he's, he's he's gone mad like he really hates trans people and he's gone into sustained well he would say it's not about trans people it's about protecting women's spaces and all this but if you look back through through some of the stuff he's been on his Twitter you know it's a uh, it's outrageous and and I kind of I do appreciate why a guy like that shouldn't really be allowed, uh, you see, even, even when I'm saying it out loud, I'm, I'm conflicted. Should he be deplatformed? Should he not be allowed, uh, you know, have a voice? Should he not be allowed work? I don't know because the stuff that he's saying is genuinely dangerous to a lot of people. Mm. It's putting a lot the trans people in, you know, this tiny marginalized community. And then he's sort of like spewing out all this toxic bile against them, and you know the other high-profile ones like J.K. Rowling and all that sort of stuff. But mm. should they be deplatformed? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I stand on it all. It's a, yeah. it's a very difficult conversation. That's an extreme example. Mm. There's there's less extreme examples of people losing their careers and their livelihoods for way less damaging stuff than anything uh, uh, Graham Lennon has come out with.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I I I hear you. And like it, it it feels like what's missing is just uh lack of um conversation. And then there's yeah. this this there's this whole thing where like, oh, but there is conversation because it's Twitter or whatever, but I I I I feel like this is just my own opinion, but I feel like apart from all the 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 great things that have come from like social media, especially Twitter, like as in people around the world who haven't had a voice or are able to you know express themselves and all that. But apart from that, like around like like big issues like this, like there's no nuanced conversation and it's all people reacting. It's it's all reactivity and that's I think it's just shouting. Yeah, it's not healthy because like that goes nowhere and then everyone's defenses are up and they go harder and they're on their side. And it's like, and also people who are not well, let's say, for example, who are just kind of, uh, who might have like quite a following or something, like just kind of going for it. You know what I mean? Like that's not safe either because, you know, let's say in the old traditional forms of like media, uh with all their flaws like let's say if somebody was like going through a lot of heavy stuff you know and they had some kind of talk show or panel show and they were not well like at the time there might they might be suggested that you know you take a break for a while you know like to you know <laughs> you know yeah, work yeah. work out your stuff but it does with uh i just think with uh, the social media stuff it there's just no no filter, and everyone's kind of insanity gets out there. Do you know what I mean?
1: yeah and, and, and it, it, the, the matter you are the more attention you get as well which is yeah to, so it pays it's off Dangerous. yeah it does yeah yeah and it's not good for anybody and I think when you watch Absolutely. something like uh, the, the that documentary the social dilemma. Uh, and and you kind of come to the conclusion that th- this needs to be made illegal. You know, yeah. this social media is—it's uh, really toxic. It is, you know, really ruined all sorts of things in a very short space of time. You can't have the—the the kind of takeaway from that social dilemma film was that it's actually impossible to have a free and fair election anymore because of all of these sinister sort of. Um, you know, Cambridge Analytica type companies that are, are going to really, really, going really far to influence uh, the results of elections. And, and, you know, as you say, everybody's shouting at each other and, and, it, and it gets the backs up and it, the people go more polarized. And yeah, I mean, it's terrifying to think what what's it that's only in 15 years, you know, what's it going to be like in another 15 years? Mm, mm. And what's the answer to that? I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, it, it is uh, it is really um it, it's really interesting. I, I I hope I hope that um like I in terms of let's say even like comedy, I hope some you know, it, it almost feels like that's what's kind of needed now to kind of break cuz all this stuff that we're talking about, it's all so serious, like everything's yeah, so yeah, yeah. like and uh Everybody is a spokesperson now for something as well, you know because like like even agents you know advising actors you know like you you better get on this particular thing and you know and i I think you know I agree with you around like um like around you know like standing for causes like you know like transphobia um like being anti transphobia and all that kind of stuff like there like there are marginalized. Um, groups everywhere who are kind of put at risk by that kind of vitriol you know like yeah. they literally are because then suddenly the safety decreases even more you know for yeah, for, for yeah. these groups um, but um, and I had a uh, Charlie Craggs a few uh, a month ago I think on this podcast as well who is um, kind of in the middle of, of, of that kind of world right now, you know, with campaigning, you know, um, uh, about transphobia. And it's just, it was just really interesting to kind of hear about like, like on a human level, how terrifying that stuff is to kind of pop up on a feed or whatever, you know? Um, Yeah, because it's genuinely life threatening
1: for, for for these people that, that are already completely marginalized and, and a tiny percentage of the overall population and so for for you know 1% of the population they get all of this disproportionate heat from all of these crazies on social media and, uh, but again, it's history repeating itself. It's like the the homophobia of the 80s is now, is, is like transphobia is, is a new thing. And we need to be on the right side of history with this. You know, we, yeah. we want to, in, in 10 or 20 years time, we want to be able to kind of say, you know, uh, yeah, just be on the right side of history. And, and, and when it's all completely normalized, we want to be able to look back and say we behaved in the right way around this. We weren't, uh, you, you know... We weren't the same bigots that were around in the 80s. Uh, you know, it's just it's just history going in cycles.
0: Yeah, exactly. And inevitably, it's going to be messy, and it's going to be like, uh, it's kind of like, looking back, it's like, how can I, like, be of kind of difference going forward you know like i think it's always going to be like that you know the people after our generation too might look at this particular period in time and go like what the fuck was that
1: you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: like yeah it's, it's I, I think it's,
1: it's it's sort of correct in itself as well there's like a, we went through this period of real bigotry for a long time that anyone who was different was was targeted and maybe all of this cancel culture is just this sort of like the, the correctional period and and then it will level off and we'll all be friends but i mean that's that's a sort of optimistic uh, outlook
0: well you know I, I i like i like that outlook like i um i i think it's the only outlook because when you think about it um believing that things are going to just um implode and that we're all going to just end up killing each other is is just like completely um <laughs> useless you know as well yeah yeah it's, um yeah. Um I was gonna ask you as well, um uh how how does it feel um like when you did gone viral, how how did it feel, first of all, making something in lockdown? Like what was that experience like? And also, um what's it like um working in Belfast and like, you know, kinda treading the the political, like, backdrop as well, you know, through the work? Because it's always going to be there, you know? Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah. Um, I think that the perception people have of Northern Ireland who are not living in Northern Ireland is really outdated. And I, myself, was of a similar sort of uh, problem when I came up here first and... I was only talking to someone about this over the weekend. Uh, uh, we were sitting having coffee on the Ormo Road, and there's like a big uh, Union Jack flag hanging from a lamppost. And it's really quite a. Uh, that section of the Ormo Road is, is just hipsters, you know, just like, you know, uh, sourdough bread and, and uh, you know, avocado toast. But there happened to be. <laughs> sourdough Union bastards! Jack. <laughs> yeah, 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 get them out. They happened to be like a, <laughs> a, a, a Union Jack flag hanging from the lamppost. And we're just remarking about how we don't really even see it anymore, you know. And I remember, and I was talking about the first night that I arrived in Belfast in June 2014. And we, were, I was living just around the corner from that place. And I went out to go to the little Tesco Express on the street. And I saw those Union Jacks and I remember the fear and the panic and going, Jesus, I can't let them hear my accent, you know? And this, because I had this ridiculous Southerner sort of idea about uh, what Belfast was, which was all based on growing up during the Troubles and the nine o'clock news every night was something horrible happening in Belfast. And then after a little while, and for the first sort of six months in Belfast, you're hyper aware of this, you know? You're, You're sort of like, you're always looking out for these little... Uh, little markers, whether it's GA jerseys or, or, or you know Rangers jerseys or whatever, and then you just stop noticing it, and and nobody really talks about it. You you might read about little bits and pieces on the news. It's not. It's just not a thing. It's not part of life. For in my experience up here, anyway, and mm. um, you know, and, and I think uh, that's why it's very important to make content, whether that be. F- you know comedy or documentary or whatever that is about Northern Ireland but isn't about the troubles because I think we've had it up to our necks with with like stuff that's about the troubles Mm. and I think it's time to tell other stories from Northern Ireland because there's so much more happening here and yeah like you say it's always a little thing in the background but it doesn't have to be the center of of the conversation yeah Um, and and I love that I think I think that as well. The amount of people, when I go home, like well, no, not that during the COVID, but I remember like you go back to Borough Christmas time, and you'd be chatting to your friends or whatever. And the amount of them that would never have been to Belfast, and they'll have been to Bangkok and Brisbane and you know wherever Buenos Aires. I'm trying to think of other bees frantically, but then they'll they'll never have been to to Belfast, and and so. We still have this like psychological hard border on Northern Ireland as Southerners uh, and I think if we just came up here a bit more, we'd realize that it's it's just the same really. I mean, there might be different color flags in certain areas and all and it all gets a bit mental in July for a little while. Hmm. but apart from that, I mean it's really it's really moved on massively in I remember I came up here in two thousand and five for an interview for an art college thing. I was gonna do an MA up here and even then it was a much grimmer city. Like the, 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 the amount of development and the amount it really is just full of hipsters. If you walk around the city centre and you know uh the the cathedral quarter it's just like like hipster beards and um, fancy coffees everywhere, you know.
0: The hipsters are the unifiers all around the world. They bring us all together. They they are what makes (laughs) me um, remember that I'm a human being, you know, that we're we're all (laughs) the same, you know. There's hipsters in every corner of the world. you got the the Italian hipsters. you got the East London hipsters. There's one one more thing I I want to open up or ask you about. Um, Nowhere... In Ireland more will you find uh polarization when it comes to uh the man himself Bono and uh, yeah. I read I read your article uh was that the Irish Times that was published in uh Sunday in Indo- the Sunday Independent yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah uh, it's it really interesting uh, I um, I just thought I'd touch on it because uh, just the references in the conversations we've had recently about uh, you, you two and the Ireland thing. I always found it really fascinating. You know, I thought it was interesting that you you had a kind of keen interest as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. Uh it's it's like a secret in in certain quarters, like we talked about. It's almost like uncool to say you like you too There's this sort of snobbery about in Ireland only, yeah, and then yeah. everywhere else, they're complete the legends that they are, they actually are, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. It's a, it's the Irish begrudgery, uh, you know. It, it it this this whole thing if anyone sticks their head up too far we need to chop it off immediately yeah uh, and i think that that is in all elements of, of irish life and, and i think it'd be interesting to see is is that it, will the new generation be afflicted by that and i don't think they will because social media is all about who can stick their head up above the water, yeah. the highest yeah know? that's really interesting yeah. it's, it's this old thing from our i, I hate going on about our generation because it sounds like we're fucking ancient
0: but we're only in our early 60s we're not too bad yeah yeah yeah
1: (laughs) but like you know when you were in in secondary school all you wanted to do was to be the same as everyone else you know the worst thing you could be was was stand out too much you know i think it's it's an extension of that this fella going around the place speaking at summits and 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 being an expert on everything and and really sticking (laughs) his head up out there when you know he could just sit at home and count his money you know but He doesn't, and, and he's educated himself on all of, these, uh, all of these topics. And I think people sort of, I can, I can understand why it might be a bit annoying, but what, what you have to look at really is, this is a band who, who wrote like uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday when they were like, what, 21, something like that. Yeah. I will follow all of this stuff that if you go to see one of their gigs now, and and it's so hypocritical because they'll sell out Crow Park. i was trying to say that. Got to say that. A quarter that. of a million people will buy tickets in about 79 seconds. Yeah. But yet yeah, fucking you too, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and 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 then you go to one of these gigs and and the, the opening cracks the Sunday Bloody Sunday and you just get like the 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 goosebumps and then you remember these guys wrote that 40 years ago (laughs) and you know do you think that you could stand by anything that you wrote when you were 20 because i know that i i can't you know i can't stand by anything i wrote five years ago and so it's this like prodigious level of talent that they have that made them into this biggest band in the world and it wasn't an accident you know it it didn't it didn't happen by fluke and they've kept doing it and they've kept you know you might not like some of their stuff. Like me personally, I I, I have sort of peaks and troughs with U two. There's are certain areas. Eras, I'm all about nineties U two. Yeah. I think because I I kind of like a bit more the electronic stuff. I like dance music, hip hop stuff like that. Anyway, so I like that experimentation. But also, I think everybody all always likes the music that hit them at a certain formative point. You know. Yeah. And for me, that was like the pop album when I was like fourteen, thirteen. Mm getting that album and that just, for me, pop is is, is my favorite album. And I love pop. Very, I love it. Yeah, it's disappointing that they never even play those songs anymore at okay? gigs. So it's like the, it's almost their, their forgotten album. And I'm, I keep waiting for a remaster because they're always going on about mm. how they didn't get have time to finish pop properly. And I, don't, I think it is a work of genius. I think it doesn't need to be finished, but I'd love to see, I'd love to see like a 20th anniversary, we're probably past that, uh, pop, what, yeah. what year would that be? 97? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it would be a 30th anniversary pop or 25, but they're never going to do it because there's not the appetite. Like the real hardcore 80s U2 fans can't abide uh, pop. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny,
0: you know, I, I, I love um, pop as well. Like it's, it's, it's up there with like my favorite, some of my favorite U2 songs. They're like, uh, uh, If God w- Would Send His Angels, that one. I yeah, love that yeah, song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Playboy Mansion. um do you feel loved? All these songs, they're just amazing. Amazing, um, yeah. Yeah. I uh I I it's it's a little bit like um like an adolescent grudge, you know, the the you the two thing I think. Uh because it's a bit like, you know, when you're in school and um you're acting all cool and like, yeah, you know, I'm yeah I'm into this and that and like kind of there's a kind of a character there and but you know you have a rough time and all you want is a hug from your your mammy you know <laughs> you, you don't want anyone to know that but i i, I see i see that a little bit like I you was know, like fuck you too and that fucking wanker what's he fucking doing now with fucking kofi annan and fucking this you know what i mean and then you then you see them all filing into slain you know like uh, (laughs) (laughs) like uh, i hope no one notices me oh there's everyone i know (laughs) oh it's fine it's like it's like being at a swingers party as long as we don't tell everyone as long as we all know it's okay (laughs) and they're just they're just like,
1: yeah, fucking
0: New Year's Day or whatever it is, jumping around. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing. And I, I think as well that that from what I've kind of read about them, I think they have almost um, like listened to the, the pushback on something like pop. Like they, they also always sound a little bit dismissive of it. You know what I mean? But it, it does sound like them at their most creative. Do you know what I mean?
1: yeah but but i yeah same same as that i i read a, a few things about that where they they had to cancel gigs in like america you know in, in certain cities in the midwest of america because they didn't sell enough tickets during the pop tour and this really shook them to the core and this says, wow you know uh, and, and then they went back to the, the different direction and, and then the next album after that all that you can't leave behind is really quite back to sort of uh, more eighties like yeah, uh, yeah, you too, yeah, and went completely because I think great album pop too was yeah great album but but pop, pop was almost like the you know the they sort of went to as the famous line about going away to reimagine it or, or think about you know come up with it all over again or whatever at the yeah. end of the eighties, and then they came back with Optum Baby, which is amer- amazing, yeah, and then it got even weirder with. Uh, with Zappa, it's yeah, like yeah. really quite out there, really yeah. a brilliant album. And then sort of the the natural, uh, je- the next step to all of that was pop. And then it was like those Midwest American gigs. They were like, okay, we were with you up to now, but this, no, 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 you know, uh, drum machines and all. No, nah, forget it, forget it. And then yeah. so then they <laughs> kind of got a bit afraid. Yeah, I mean, who who am I to 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 tell you what they were thinking but that's what my read on it from from how uh how how they pivoted again after pop
0: again it's the kind of thing that in 20 years time it'll be like looking back at that whole thing it'll be like you know what actually was that you know and what actually was the reaction to it you know what i mean like you, you you think about things like people in the in the uk um um like english kind of uh very proper, uh, stiff upper, upper lip kind of English people in the 60s when the Beatles came out, you know, the parents of those teenagers that were going mad, you know. Yeah. It was it was probably like the 1986 um, Galway um, adult movie reaction, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. in that moment, there's all this information going on and maybe only in down the line we'll know what it all means, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah 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 it's funny but it's it's an album that i keep going back to pop you know I, I every few years i will go back and listen to it or oh, and it's another i listen to it all the way through and that's something that i think we've lost as well with like spotify and streaming is that albums the, the idea of an album you know the idea of getting into an album for giving it an hour and getting into this really and you can you know this this experience of the the the, the this sort of cohesive group of songs all together that that uh, a feeling that you get from an album and i wonder has that kind of to a certain degree that that's not the way it is anymore where people mm. are just it's you know it's individual songs for for streaming yeah yeah uh,
0: yeah the the ritual of that is like gets a bit lost and even the thing of like oh i want that album and like oh, like, you know, okay, when will I be able to afford to go and buy it? Like, oh, like, yeah. you know, two I mean, weeks. When, when and then was, going to the shop, you know, and seeing it. and uh, We you used know? to get
1: the bus. We used to have to get the <laughs> bus from Burr to Tullamore because there was no music shop in Burr. And so on a Friday, we used to get out of school at quarter to two. And I remember so clearly when All That You Leave Behind was coming out and I was probably in fifth year, and on the Friday that it was released, a couple of us got the bus for half an hour from Borough to Tullamore to buy an album for like twenty quid, <laughs> and then like got the bus back. Still hadn't listened to it. Got the bus back, and then finally was able to listen to it when we got home. It's like, oh my god, has anything changed so much? Uh, you, you know the the, yeah. the, the 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 preciousness that you had around these CDs when you didn't think twice about spending twenty quid on it. Yeah. Imagine spending twenty quid on it. I know, a, and that must be heartbreaking for you in particular as as a musician.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a weird one and I was I was in the very tail end of being able to sell CDs, you know. I was in this band yeah. at one point 2009-2010 in Ireland and we were doing loads of, you know, gigs and it was like, you know, playing all the time and we were selling this cd that we had you know it was like this ep it was it was like we would sell a bunch of them every time you know and it was it was like noticeable like um a noticeable shift you know in terms of like oh we we really can like invest in the next part of the the band now do you know what i mean yeah and stuff like that and um but I, i have to say now i'm i'm not one to hanker for the the cds anymore in terms of like like you know, there's a lot of people, I think, clinging onto to that business model, let's say, like yeah. musicians and that th- that really need to let go because the reality has shifted so much that there's a different impetus now on like people basically building as large an audience as they can. Do you know what I mean? Like and then that's where they can actually start to make some money then even, you know, but it's like yeah. um, it's it's a it's a new world. But i i noticed at one point where i actually did my first gig in uh a year like last uh, on saturday there actually um nice. in, How in, was in that? A, it was it was really great but it was really weird it was in a in a packed full of people and uh, i was like i haven't been around this many people in so long do you know what i mean yeah, and uh, yeah. uh and like i had been vaccinated recently so it's like not really it feels okay to do it but yeah. it's really weird as well um but then uh, the reality, which was, I think, even this year, 2021, because there has been a shift more so than ever people into, into technology, like as in everyone's Zooming all the time, people are like on their phones way more. And it was the first gig in the longest time where I was like, well, the first gig ever where I was like, there's no point in bringing CDs. Like the first <laughs> time... Like because there would always be one or two people who would buy one, but I just kind of made it like that is not worth packing them in and bringing them now. It's that's over. Yeah, it's yeah. officially yeah, over. Yeah, like yeah. I can like pulp them like Alan Partridge with his book, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah. And and
1: and like new laptops and computers don't even have uh, CD no, or DVD. No, no, they don't. It's on it, it's, them anymore.
0: Yeah, it it's definitely seems to be just done now. You know. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, uh, And it's it's. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Just noticing that it's like the awareness that like, there's no fucking way, and they're going to yeah, look yeah, ridiculous yeah. there. It's like it's like it'd be like setting up Who's like this guy with like, CDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be like setting up a stall with like tapes. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I had a I, was, I played at a wedding once, and a good friend of mine's uncle uh, said to her, he was like, "Yes, your man's fucking great, isn't he? Do you think he has any tapes?" <laughs> 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 that was, that was the best the best reaction ever <laughs> to my music <laughs> But um, man, look, it's 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 been brilliant talking to you, man. Um, thanks so much for being on the podcast and for yeah, like. Thanks for having uh, me. And hopefully we can do it again down the line. Maybe I'll have like you know the, we'll go into double figures with our listeners, you know, before long. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you
1: never know. In, in about fifteen years, people will be calling back through these to find something they can cancel us for. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, it's <laughs> perfect, perfect. You're on the right episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You found it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, man. Thanks so much. Yeah,
1: brilliant. Thanks. So
0: Well there you go. What a cool chat for episode eleven of Resonating with Emmett O'Malley. It was lovely to have you here. To support this podcast, remember go to patreon.com slash Emmett O'Malley. Have a great week, folks. I will talk to you next Tuesday. Bye bye.